Okay, um, this morning we're starting a new series on the book of James, and this is part of our Draw Near Vision Focus of the Year, um, our Draw Near uh, Visual over there, and you can see right at the bottom it says, Draw Near to God, and He will draw near to you, and that's James 4.8. And so over this term we're going to be exploring the uh, book of James. And just by way of introduction, a um, number of years ago I was on a mission trip And the Lord was challenging me about um, rejoicing in all circumstances, which uh, it talks about in James chapter 1 verse 2. Um, We'll read that in a moment. Um, And particularly I was uh, being challenged by a verse in Nehemiah which says, The joy of the Lord um, is your strength. And uh, I was I was on a mission trip. I was actually in Bosnia, and uh, it was a difficult time for me for, because my um, my grandmother had uh, passed away, and I was away at the time. And then it came to my journey home, and uh, I was being tra- uh, transported uh, by a, a Bosnian driver. If any of you've been driven in a in a car by a Bosnian driver, it's quite an interesting experience. And uh, uh, as, as we were approaching the airport, the, um, the, the, the combi we were in actually broke down. And so we had to get another combi then to take me to the, to the airport. Obviously, I was a bit nervous, so am I going to catch my flight or not? Um, managed to catch it, thankfully. Um, then we arrived um, the, the other end, and my dad came and picked me up from the airport. And we got about half an hour down the, down the road, and his van broke down. Well, the chances on one journey, two vehicles break down separately in different countries. And uh, I was just really challenged in that circumstance to uh, be joyful, not about the circumstances, but about the fact that God loved me, that he was with me. And so there's just an example of how I was challenged on a very small thing, really. It's traveling, not a big deal, really. Um, but that sense of actually uh, God wants, to, wants us to rejoice in all circumstances. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, it says... Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. And in a moment, I really want to unpack this because I think we really need to understand what James is getting at here. And it can feel a bit trite sometimes if you're in a really difficult situation. And so I really want us to unpack what is James actually getting at here? What is he actually saying? Many of you have heard the story of John Newton, the the great uh, church leader, clergyman, also the man who wrote the uh, probably one of the most famous hymns, Amazing Grace. And uh, the first part of John Newton's life was characterized by anger, disappointment, and suffering. John Newton was even a slave in Africa. I hadn't realized this until a few days, but he was actually a slave for a short period in Africa. He was also known as the great blasphemer. Amazing, isn't it? The man who's taken from being called the great blasphemer then goes on to write one of the most famous hymns that we have today. And there was one night he was on the ship, the Greyhound, and uh, he was returning back to England after having been in Africa. And on that ship, he, uh, he experienced God. There was a big storm. It was going on, raging on for many days. And he lost all his energy. And in the end, he was tied to the helm just to keep the, the ship on course while other sailors were dealing with the boat. Um, all the canvas had ripped. Some of the ship had broken. They all feared for their lives. And John Newton looked before him and thought, what on earth have I lived? What kind of life have I lived? And what am I going to? And amazingly, in that moment, he encountered the presence of the risen Christ. And he, in that moment, gave his life to Jesus. 
And mercifully, they were, uh, they were okay. The, the ship uh, survived. And very slowly, they made their way back uh, uh, to port. And that day at the helm, he, he says, uh, On that day, the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. And many years later, reflecting back to that day, he said this, Not well able to write, but I endeavor to observe the return of this day with humiliation, prayer, and praise. And as I've said, John Newton went on to be an amazing guy. Um, he, he, he actually continued um, in, uh, as a sailor and actually ran a, a slave ship for a time. Um, but as he matured in his faith, he, he recognized the injustice of slavery and he, he turned his back on that. And he became a surveyor in Liverpool and a preacher. And eventually he came to the point where uh, he was a, a clergyman. He got ordained. And he had significant influence on a man called William Wilberforce, who was an MP and who was uh, central to the abolition of uh, slavery, uh, to the slave trade. And uh, just an amazing guy and had such an influence on so many. Um, but, but for him, what was crystallized about who he was and his faith and what really developed him in his faith was that sense of the storm. It was in the storm, it was in the pain and the suffering and the trouble that he discovered God's presence. And so in a minute, I want us to explore again this phrase that uh, James talks about in James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, as you face trials of many kinds. And we'll think about why it is that we can rejoice in the midst of trials. But before we do, we are launching out on a new book of the Bible. And so I don't think it would be, uh, it would be unwise not to give us just a very uh, quick introduction to James, to think about what James is about. And so I want us to think very briefly about the author, the audience, and the purpose. And uh, in the Bible, it's a bit tricky because there are at least four people with the name of James. So which James is it that's written, uh, written this book? And uh, one, one of the Jameses was, in fact, uh, Jesus' brother. And scholars think it's very likely that this book of the Bible is written by him. Um, it's part of the reason why it was included uh, in the Bible at the beginning, because it was someone who was very strongly linked to, Je- to Jesus. It's quite interesting, actually, because there's one point in the Bible where Jesus talks about, uh, or the Bible records, that his family threw him out and thought he was crazy. I don't know if your family's ever thought you're crazy, um, but some, I know mine do sometimes. Um, but Jesus, Jesus had this experience that he was preaching, he was doing all this amazing work, and uh, they, they thought he was crazy. And it's likely that James thought that too. And so it's wonderful to see the transformation um, of this younger brother. I mean, you can quite imagine, actually, James found it pretty hard that his older brother was the Messiah. I mean, that's quite hard to contend with, isn't it? Um, but James came to this point where he was transformed. He went from a point where he saw his brother as crazy to a point where he recognized that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, and what he came to do. And he testified to that. And James then went on to be a key leader in the Jerusalem church. And that's significant, which we'll come on to uh, in just a moment. Just an aside as well, it's likely that another letter in the Bible was written by one of Jesus' brothers as well, uh, Jude. Uh, Jesus had a brother called Judas, not Judas Iscariot, and uh, shortened uh, to Jude. And so it's likely the book of Jude was written uh, by one of Jesus' brothers as well. In terms of the audience, we read in verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. And so who are the 12 tribes? The 12 tribes, of course, represent Israel. 
the people of God, the people of God from Abraham uh, and until Jesus' day. And so James is writing likely to the Jewish church that was scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And he's writing to them, um, coming to the purpose now, he's writing to them to encourage them, encourage them in their faith, encourage them to stick with it, even in the face of trial in difficult times, to stick with it. And James is a very practical book as well. It really gets to some of the practicalities of what faith is about and how we're called to live. And so as we embark on this journey, let's remember that actually this isn't just a letter that's just been tossed to us from 2,000 years ago. This letter was actually written to a specific group of people, and it was written by Jesus' brother. So there's real significance for us today as we begin this passage, and we begin um, these first 12 verses. And again, I'll repeat again, James chapter 1 and verse 2, which I particularly want to focus on this morning. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind. This morning, I want us to think about how we, as followers of Jesus, respond to trials in our lives. I'm guessing that every single one of us here has experienced a trial in our life. You know, sometimes we may have said, well, I don't have it as bad as such and such. But the reality, all of us have our own story and we have our own challenges and our own trials. And we should never dismiss those and belittle those, even in the face of someone else who may have had way bigger trials in our own perceptions. All of us have experienced something of the trials of life. And so this morning, I want us to explore, as followers of Christ, how do we respond to the trial of other people hurting us? How do we respond to the trial of our own making? How do we respond to our own failures? How do we respond to the trial of disappointment? How do we respond to circumstances that are out of our control and yet can be so difficult within our lives? And where James talks about trials here, he's talking about a whole host of different trials. He's talking about trials in the form of persecution because uh, some of the people he's writing to would have been followers of Christ and they would experience persecution. But he's not exclusively talking about that. He's also talking about trials that we find in our day-to-day lives. You know, trials that you think about in your workplaces that you experience, or in your family situations, uh, or with your friends. Uh, James is talking about, the literal word here for many trials is multicolored. He's talking about the whole host of different challenges that we can face. And it would seem that the people that James is writing to are experiencing a particular intensity of trial. And again, they would cover a a multifaceted uh, element of different things that they're facing. And so my question for this this morning, are are the trials we're carrying? Maybe we're, we're carrying one particular trial this morning, or maybe there are many things that we're carrying. Well, let me just say, you're in good company. Uh, This was the group of people that James was writing to, to encourage and help. And uh, maybe there's been a time in your life where you have experienced that real intensity um, of trial. And maybe, or maybe you're experiencing at this time. And uh, as we look at this this morning, I want us to explore what we're called to do in the midst of that place. And James, of course, says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Now, let me really make it clear here, um, a piece of advice to us. If someone comes to you and says, look, I've just lost my job or uh, I'm, I'm really struggling with this or that, the best thing to say to them is not rejoice in that. Rejoice in that, brother or sister. 
have great joy. I don't think that's what James is getting at here as well, by the way, I'll quickly add. But we're called to empathize, we're called to recognize people's pain. And actually one of the people that's most complimented uh, uh, in, in the Old Testament alongside Job is not the friends who kept giving all this advice and saying this and that, but were, were the people who just sat with Job and listened and heard the pain, heard the difficulty. And that's one of the things that we must do. Um, but James also talks about why we can consider it pure joy when we face trials of many times, uh, many many kinds. James uh, James goes on to say, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and then it goes on to say, let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking anything, not lacking anything. And so there's something here about trials and the way in which they build our faith. So we're not called to rejoice in the trials themselves, but in the fruit that those trials bring. James specifically talks here about maturity, that we may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And then verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. In other words, there is a reward as we persevere through the trials that God, uh, that not that God gives to us, but uh, that we find ourselves in. And so we're called to persevere in those contexts. And so James specifically talks here about maturity, that we grow in maturity as we experience these trials. Now, what is this maturity? Oh, it's a, it's a very broad term, isn't it? Mature. You know, what does that actually mean uh, when we think about the Christian life? Well, there are some other passages in the Bible that talk about suffering and talk about our attitudes uh, within suffering. One of those is the Sermon on the Mount, where you remember, may remember that Jesus says, uh, blessed are those who mourn and who are persecuted. Um, also, Peter talks about suffering as well in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 6 to 7. But the passage that I particularly want us just to flip over for a moment is Romans chapter 5 and verses 3 to 5. And you'll see a real alignment between this passage and the passage in James. But it draws out specifically uh, what we're talking about in maturity here. And I think particularly as we think about maturity um, coming out of trial and suffering. And uh, so this is what uh, Paul writes in Romans. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Similar phrase, isn't it? Consider it pure joy. Glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope. Who's had the experience of going through something really difficult, but you kind of, you you just go for it in that midst, and coming out of it, you feel stronger, even though it's been really difficult. I don't know how many many people have felt that. You You may have felt it in the context of, just to use a sporting analogy, you know, if, if you're training up for something, if you keep running, keep persevering in that midst, it almost builds um, your muscles. And let me say in faith, it's n- not necessarily as uh, overt. You're not always so aware of what's going on. But this scripture teaches us that actually as we persevere under trial, that God develops our spiritual muscles. But the specific thing that Paul talks about here, the maturity that grows is what? What does it talk about? It says, uh, 
Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. It's hope that God develops in us uh, through our suffering. And my experience is that often in the midst of the suffering, uh, it doesn't always feel like that. So if you feel, well, I've experienced trials, but in those trials, you know what, Josh, that's been really hard, and I've felt absolutely awful. I haven't felt particularly hopeful in the midst of that. Um, I, I think I'd want to say to you, I want to affirm you in that, because that's not everyone's experience, that they feel joyful in the midst of the suffering. But what James is saying here is that we can rejoice in our trials because of what they're producing in us, the fruit that they're building. They're building hope in us. And uh, at the 8 o'clock service, um, someone came up to me afterwards and uh, quoted to me Corrie Ten Boom, who, along with others who were held in a uh, Nazi concentration camp in the Second World War because they were protecting uh, some Jewish people in their home and they got caught and Corrie Ten Boom and some of her family got put in a concentration camp. And one of the things that Corrie Ten Boom talks about is rejoicing in the circumstance of having bed bed bugs. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, what an awful circumstance to be along with everything else. But she was able to rejoice in that in some way. I don't know how she did it, but she did. And it transpired afterwards. They found out that the bed bugs actually really helped them because one, it meant that the the Nazi soldiers steered well clear um, of them. It meant that they were they were protected, um, particularly the women, but also the whole community as well, because it meant they could worship God. And so, in the midst of great trial, they were able to rejoice. And I just think it's amazing that she could rejoice in bedbugs, um, and 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 stood in that place of rejoicing in the goodness of God despite adverse uh, circumstances. And uh, over the years, you know, I've 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 experienced, and I don't know, it's really hard to articulate this, but. Almost the sweetness uh, of, of people, Christian brothers and sisters, who've been through great trial and have persevered through. Anyone else experience that? Just talk to someone and, and you can tell they've been seasoned by the trials of life and they've come through and you sense a real sweetness in their spirit. It's not they're not honest about the trials. They are very honest. They recognize the, the, the difficulty and the place it's left them. But in the midst of that, they also recognize the hope of God, and they've persevered. I'm also sorry to, to say that I've also experienced uh, the sadness and also the bitterness at times of people who've not been able to persevere with hope, that actually there's been a, a sense of bitterness that's uh, come out in their hearts, and, and uh, some of us may have experienced that as well. And I want to add very quickly to that, that I believe that Jesus is, a, is a, a man of transformation, that he wants to transform our lives. And I want to open up my own heart and say here, I don't always get it right in times of trial, that actually there have been times where I've really struggled and it's left my heart bitter. And I've had to invite in the presence of Jesus to bring his power, his forgiveness, his love, and, and, his, and, his, and his hope that I can live uh, for him in the ways that he wants. And so I just want to encourage us this morning that, um, if we perhaps feel more on the side of, well, actually, we've not responded greatly to trial. Well, part of the reason I'm preaching this morning is to bring this message so that God can bring us close to him and transform us. But also for those of us who have really persevered under trial, that we can rejoice in that because God wants to bring hope into our hearts.
Um, the opposite, in a sense, of hope, which is the fruit of persevering through trial, is cynicism. And this is the bit that God challenged me on over the summer. Um, I've been re- reading a new book um, uh, by a guy called uh, Carrie Newhoff. Uh, the, it's referenced at the bottom of your notes if you're interested in reading it. But it's a really good book. And uh, he particularly talks about um, his experience of midlife crisis. I'm coming up to 40, so I'm coming, kind of coming into the midlife crisis zone. I don't think anyone else is in that place. Um, but, but really, really great, great book. I count myself as a very positive person, but I was really challenged by this book that actually there is some cynicism in my heart that I need to be rid of. And so I'm praying through that at the moment with the Lord and asking, Lord, please, please get rid of this. I don't want to be someone who's cynical. I don't want to be someone who sees the negative. I want to be real. I want to recognize the reality of situations, but I don't want to be cynical. I want to be someone of hope. And so God is doing that work in me at the moment. And so uh, just to just to quote um, Karen Newhoff, he talks about cynicism. He says, people don't become cynical. You know, people don't just become cynical overnight. People become cynical over time. And they don't become cynical because they they don't care. They become cynical because they do care. It starts because you poured your heart into something grand and got little in return. Or maybe you got something in return, but it was the opposite of what you desired. You fan in love only to have that relation dissolve, relationship dissolve. You threw your heart into your job only to be told you were being let go. You were completely there for your mum only to have her tell you, you're such a disappointment. He, he, he talks about his own experience um, of developing in this way of cynicism. And he, he talks about specifically that he poured his life into a particular couple as he was a pastor, a young pastor of a church, and he would spend two or three, um, he'd go two or three visits a week uh, meeting with them, praying with them. He mobilized the church to practically serve them. Uh, and after about a year or so, uh, the couple said to him, you know, you're just not doing enough. You're not doing enough to help us. We need more help. Um, and so he gave everything he could. And about six months later, they said to him, do you know what? We're leaving the church. We're going to go somewhere else where someone actually cares about us and someone's going to help us. And, you know, even though he put all that time and all that energy, that was, that was the result he got. And obviously that really affected him. And together with some other experiences as well, this led to him really closing himself off to other people. He became cynical and he stopped helping people for fear that if he helped people more, that he would be rejected again in this way. We believe, don't we, the gospel is transformational. That the work that Jesus did on the cross was on the basis of his suffering, that he died on the cross. And because of that, he gives us new life. And I want to encourage us this morning, if we're in a bit in a place a bit like uh, Carrie Newhoff, uh, that actually the gospel is as powerful today as it was the day that you committed your life to following Jesus. We are called to be people of hope, not to be full of cynicism. And in the context of trials, this comes through recognizing that the testing of our faith produces perseverance, which over time brings maturity. Now, this is all very well conceptually, isn't it? But what, what does that actually look on a day-to-day level? Um, well, interestingly, as we read on in our passage, uh, James talks about asking for wisdom. If we read on um, in uh, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, 
You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Some of the way we respond to the trials of life, I can't give you a set answer of how we respond. It's about wisdom. It's about hearing God's voice. It's about discerning in that place how we respond to what God is calling to us. We are called to respond with love, with grace, with mercy. Uh, We're called to persevere. Uh, But how we work all that out, we need God's guidance to show us the way forward. Um, Carrie Newhoff, uh, in his book, which I found so, so helpful, um, talks about the difference between hope and cynicism. Uh, And he invites us to, 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 to pursue hope. And one of the things he talks about is that cynicism, a great antidote to cynicism, is curiosity. I don't know how many of you are curious. Sometimes I think I ask too many questions of people, but I was quite affirmed by uh, Newhoff's statement that actually part of curiosity, the articulation of curiosity, is through questions. And so just to finish up, just to think about how do we foster, on a very practical level, this sense of hope and within that, curiosity. And so the first thing is open, ask open-ended questions. You know, don't, don't ask, is this jumper red or blue? But ask questions that are far more broad. You know, how are you doing? Or, you know, what, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of that? Do we ask people questions? And not only do we ask questions, but do we listen as well? Um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of um, meeting with someone and as you meet with them, they're just sat there. Their body language, everything is communicating. They're listening to you. And as they are listening to you, they're just asking questions. They're asking questions about your life, about what you're passionate about, about your family. Have people, have people had that experience? I hope, I hope we have had that experience. Um, and, and it's a really affirming experience, isn't it? It's this, this a sense that someone's really listening to you and cares about you. And so that's part of the way in which we can articulate curiosity by asking those open questions. Um, secondly, um, schedule time to think. Um, we live in a really busy world. Allow space for your mind to consider and think through what is going on in your life. Spend that time. You know, I think I reflect back and the times I spend just walking by myself, I know help my brain to decompress. It helps me to be able to consider my life and what's happening. Thirdly, give few answers. Don't think you always have to have the answer or be able to give the answer. Give few answers. Three, dream more. If I think back 20 years ago when I was uh, 19, I know I dreamt more then than I do now. Do you dr- did you dream more 20 years ago than you do now? I imagine that's probably the case for many of us. Um, but let's keep dreaming. Let's not give up dreaming. Let's keep dreaming about what God can do in our lives and the lives of those around us. We're never too old uh, to dream. And uh, one of the the most exciting things I've seen over the years are really elderly saints who keep dreaming, saying, you know what, Josh, I've had this new encounter of God. God is giving me this or he's giving me that. I'm experiencing a new thing in Jesus. And then fifthly and finally, ask two pivotal questions. And they are very simply why and why not? Why and why not? You know, um, it's a bit like uh, my children. You know, you, you ask a question, they just say, why? 
every answer is wise. <laughs> but, but we need that attitude of a child to, to ask, but why does that happen? You know, why, why is it when you throw an apple up in the air, why does it fall to the ground? Well, of course, the answer is gravity. But why? Why does gravity work? Many of us will be able to answer that, but some of us may not be able to. Why don't you just go and look into it? You know, I often think, well, how does that work? What's going on there? And you Google it, and uh, hopefully Google gives the right answer. Sometimes it doesn't, and you embarrass yourself when you explain to someone else how it works. And you say, well, actually, that's not the case. I've got a PhD in physics. I can explain it to you. Anyway, the point is, let's have that, this, this approach of curiosity Let's ask those questions, but also asking the question, why not? You know, I think it's from about the age of 35 that we begin to get more set in our ways. And I can say that about myself. Ali will say that about me, I'm sure, as well. Uh, We get more set in our ways. And it's great to ask the question, why not? Why not? You know, why, why do we do something, but why not do something differently? Why not try this or try that? So let's, let's try and be curious people. And as we grow in our curiosity, that will be an antidote uh, to our cynicism. But more importantly than that, we need to grow in hope. And to grow in hope, we can rejoice in the trials that we experience because they develop perseverance. Perseverance develops character. Character develops hope. And so where's the starting point? Well, of course, the starting point is to, become, is to come before Jesus and seek his healing for those hurts, but begin that journey of persevering through those challenges. And so this morning, uh, as we come to an end, I just want to ask us two questions. Two questions. Firstly, are you carrying this morning something that you need to bring before God? Are you carrying a trial that is burdening you, that is affecting your heart? Um, Can I encourage you to bring that before the Lord? Part of the persevering is actually being honest about it before God and and sharing and being prayed for by his people. So let's bring those before him. And secondly, and perhaps more challenging, for some of us, we've allowed cynicism to become the predominant uh, factor in our heart. We've lost hope, uh, maybe not in God, but we maybe lost hope in the people around us. So can I encourage us, if that's us this morning, to bring that before God and say, God, please can you begin to restore hope in my heart?